As a believer, you have spiritual influence in your home over your spouse and children, even if they are unsaved at the moment. We share simple practical ways you can pray for your spouse, children and home. God reveals his will and then invites us to pray till we see it done here on earth. Stay tuned for more. All right, why don't we stand up to our feet and uh, make our declaration this morning and then we will spend some time in God's word. Uh, if you brought your Bible and you don't mind, just lift your Bible high up in the air. Let's say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. And a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. All right. We are doing a series on ministering through prayer. At the beginning of the year, we said, you know, we need to spend some time talking on this subject, on ministering through prayer. Uh, one of our main motivations, reasons to do that is to encourage everybody to know that you can be involved in some sort of ministry. Amen? All right, don't go quiet on me. Amen? You know, uh, many times when we talk about ministry, we only think about, you know, being up on the pulpit, preaching all these sermons, or being part of a worship team, doing that kind of thing, you know, up in front. And uh, sometimes we don't realize that actually prayer is such a powerful avenue for ministry. Amen? One enthusiastic person here this morning. <laughs> that prayer is really such a powerful avenue for ministry. And the beautiful thing about being in, uh, ministering through prayer is that anyone can do it. Right? You don't need any, you know, you're not going to be auditioned. How good your musical skills are. You're not going to be auditioned to pray. Uh, you can do it from anywhere. You can do it at any time. Every one of us, all of us can be involved in this ministry of Prayer. It doesn't take any special talent. It doesn't take any special ability. All of us are welcome to be involved and, 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 the, and, and just up to you how much you want to do, how much you want to invest in this ministry of prayer. And so I'd encourage all of us to really get involved in, in, in praying for other people. Last week, Pastor Jay Kumar, uh, we, uh, as he ministered here, we, we started off with this verse, verses of scripture in Colossians chapter 4 and we're going to revisit those two verses. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 and 13, Paul writes about a man named Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Just to give us a little bit of background about this whole 
context in which Paul is writing. Paul is writing this letter when he's imprisoned in Rome. It's about AD 62. That's about 32 years since the day of Pentecost. So he's writing from Rome. And he's writing about a man named Epaphras. And he's writing to believers in Colossae. Now, Paul had never been to Colossae. He was not the one who established or planted the church in Colossae. He'd never been there. But here's what had happened. On his third missionary journey, so the book of Acts essentially records the first 40 years of the Christian church from the day of Pentecost on. From Acts chapter 13 till the end of the book of Acts is essentially a record of the ministry of the apostle Paul uh, and the journeys he made in establishing and planting churches uh, around the Mediterranean. And uh, on his third missionary journey, which is recorded for us in Acts chapters 18 through 21, this took place uh, in AD 54 to 58, that is 24 years after the day of Pentecost. AD 54 to 58, four years, Paul spent uh, on what we call as a third missionary journey. Now, as he began this journey, he started from his home church, which was in Antioch of Syria. He started from there. He traveled through the region of Galatia, spent a little time there. But most of his time, three years, was spent in a city called Ephesus. And you will see that on the map. So Ephesus would have been on the west coast of Turkey, modern day Turkey. He spent three years in the city of Ephesus. Now, in this city of Ephesus... Paul spent three years and he did some amazing things. Most importantly, during these three years, he trained up eight young men. These were Gentile leaders. The first really, first really the first Gentile leaders of the early church were trained by Paul in Ephesians. Eight of them, Titus and Timothy were two of these people. I'll give you the names of the others some other time. But Timothy, of course, had a mixed background. His father was Greek, his mother was Jew. But all the other seven young men were non-Jewish, they were Gentiles, they were trained by Paul in Ephesians. Now, while Paul was in Ephesians during these three years, something happened. A man named Philemon who lived in this city called Colossae. Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesians. So if you see the next uh, map, you will see Colossae, 100 miles, you can go back to the, yeah. You can, you'll see Colossae 100 miles east of Ephesians. People from Colossae, would come to Ephesians to trade. Primarily they were involved in trading fleece, the, 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 the skin of sheep and all that, bring it up to the coast, uh, the port town of Ephesians to trade. Philemon was one of them. He came to Colossae, uh, to Ephesians, where he encountered Paul, the preaching of the gospel, God saved, went back to the city of Colossae. But there was another young man named Epaphras who happened to encounter Paul at Ephesians, heard the gospel, he went back to Colossae and God used him to raise up the church in Colossae. This man called Epaphras. And Colossae was also located very close to two other cities, uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis. They're about 10 to 12 kilometers away from each other. So there were three cities very close to each other, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Now, about four years later, this is AD 62, Paul is now in Rome. And you see where Rome is on the next slide there. He's in Rome, imprisoned there. 
And while he is in Rome, Epaphras, who is from Colossae, travels across to spend time with Paul. He gives him an update on what happened, what's going on in the church in Colossae. And he's spending time taking care of Paul. And from his prison in Rome, Paul is writing this letter, AD 62, to the church in Colossae. But he also mentions to the end of the epistle, please also read this letter in the other churches in, in Laodicea. Right? Read this letter there as well. So while he's writing to the believers at Colossae, he's telling them, look, I have something to tell you about your man Epaphras. What does he tell them? He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, I want you to tell you, he is laboring fervently for you in prayers. Epaphras is praying for you. He's here with me in Rome, but he hasn't forgotten about you guys. He's praying for you. Now, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis is about 2,500 kilometers away from Rome. But Epaphras is praying for you. He's praying that you will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I bear witness, meaning I'm seeing this happen every day, that he has great zeal for you and for those in Laodicea. So he's saying, look, this is what Epaphras is doing. He's laboring for you in prayers. So here's a wonderful thing about the ministry of prayer. The ministry of prayer has no limitations on time, place, and location. Amen? You can pray from anywhere. Your kitchen if you want to. And you can pray for people thousands of miles away that God places on your heart. You can begin to pray. You can begin to pray and say, God, get us as a church. Get us into Lithuania, God. Get us, get us into Estonia, God. Get us into Russia. You can pray in your kitchen and take care of the work in those places. Amen? See, preaching is a little different. You've got to get on the plane. You've got to go there. But prayer, anywhere, anytime, any place, you can impact the world. There is no restriction on time, place, and location. You can do this. I also want us to look very closely at, it, at these two verses, verse 12 and 13, and highlight some things here. Notice in verse 12, he says, Epaphras, he's laboring for you in prayers, and he refers to him as a bond servant of Christ. I want us to understand that those of us who minister in prayer are no less the servants of Christ than those who minister to preaching and worship and doing all the public ministry. Amen? Even if you are a minister to prayer, just praying in your room, uh, in your, at home, and nobody notices you. Nobody gets to see your face on TV. You don't have to do all that terrible makeup every time, you know. You don't have to do all that. You don't have to endure all those hardships, you know. You can just pray, even with the hair uncombed. You can get up and just pray. And nobody gets to know your name. Nobody gets to, none of it. But you are still a bond servant of Christ. The same title he uses for an apostle. It's the same title he uses for a man who's ministering through prayer. And then he says, he is laboring fervently. 
I want to emphasize that. You know, a prayer is not a, a, a cheap and, you know, for those who have nothing else to do with it. It's not that kind of a thing. It's in, there is an intensity involved when you want to minister through prayer. Really, the word fervently uh, in the Greek has the idea of contending in prayer. It has the idea of fighting, of struggling, of, 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 of intensity that's involved. He's laboring fervently for you. Amen? So ministering in prayer is no less intense than somebody who stands up and preaches or you know, does all the public thing. It is really intense. Laboring fervently in prayer. And the third thing he says there is this. He is he's praying for you that, he, that you might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now think about this. Why do we preach and teach the word of God? Why do we you know, come back and keep teaching and... Oh, Why do we do all that? Because we want God's people to be perfect and complete in all the will of God. So that's the objective through preaching and teaching. And that's the same objective that is being achieved through the ministry of prayer. Same thing. Through prayer, you're helping believers, you're helping churches, you're helping people come into alignment and become perfect and complete in all the will of God for their lives. The same thing that we are trying to achieve through all our teaching and preaching and all of that, you're achieving through prayer or we are achieving when we pray. Bringing people to become perfect and complete in all the will of God. And the fourth thing I want to point out from that passage in verse 13 is this. He says, I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you. See, sometimes we mistakenly connect zeal with sound. You know, you give the preacher a mic, he comes and makes a lot of noise. We think, wow, he's got a lot of zeal. No, he's got a lot of noise. So don't confuse zeal and noise. Here he's writing about Epaphras, a man who's praying, but he's saying this man has great zeal. A great zeal for the Lord. A great zeal for people. He's very zealous. He's on fire. He's got passion. What's he doing? Not making noise with a mic like I am doing right now. But he is fervently laboring for you in prayer. So what I want us to understand is that ministering in prayer is not an indication you have any less zeal than somebody who is doing something else. Amen? This prayer ministry. This, uh, this, this invitation, this call for all of us to minister through prayer uh, uh, is something all of us can step into. All we need to do is say, okay, I'm willing to set aside some time and pray. Go before God. And you will be a powerful minister in prayer. Amen? All of us can do it. This morning, I want us to specifically focus on ministering through prayer, ministering for your family, ministering to your family through prayer. I just want us to focus on that. And we want to start off with this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. I want to read it from the Message Bible because it's a lot simpler than uh, from the King James, easier to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 to 16. I just want to read the whole passage but point out one thought, that one truth that Paul presents here. Verse 10, he says, And if you are married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. 
and a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, Christian married to non-Christian, we have no explicit command from the master. So this is what you must do. If you, are a, if you are a man with a wife who is not a believer, but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. If you are a woman with a husband who is not a believer, but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. Verse 14. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife. The way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband, the way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. Now, disclaimer, this is not a license for us, for young people to go and get married to unbelievers. Okay? Right? Uh, the Bible is very clear. As believers, we must be yoked together with believers, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he's writing is that if you already happen to be married to somebody who's not a believer, then here are the instructions. But what I want to focus on is verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, he says, The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out as it is. They also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. What I want to bring out here is this. That even if you are the only believer in your family, you have spiritual influence over your spouse and over your children. Amen? That's what Paul is saying. Because you're a believer in your family. You've got influence. You've got spiritual influence. And that you can now begin to exert this influence to make sure that the purposes of God are established in the life of your spouse and those of your children. Are you with me so far? Amen? And how much better it is when both the husband and the wife are, are believers. All the more you uh, uh, as a husband and wife can, can work together to see the purposes of God established in your home. This morning, I want to emphasize, give importance to the ministry of prayer, ministering to your family through praying, through your prayer. That's what I want to emphasize. <clears throat> Here are some common things that you can pray for, for your spouse and your children. All right, just give me a few minutes and we'll come back. <laughs> uh, some common things you can pray for. First of all, pray for the salvation for your spouse or for your children. Pray for them. If they are not saved, pray for their salvation. God, I want my husband, my wife, I want them to be saved. I want my children to know you. I want them to encounter Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. Pray for them. Second, pray for God's rule, for God's kingdom. 
for God's rule and reign to be established in their lives. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Pray, thy kingdom come. So pray, right? Now, if you are, are not married yet, you can pray the same way for your parents or for your family members, right? Pray for your parents. God, I want to see them saved. God, I want your kingdom to come in my home, my family. Pray for your parents. So uh, although I'm talking about mainly spouse and children, this applies to young people. Pray for your parents as well. Pray for their salvation. Pray for God's kingdom. Lord, I want your rule, your reign to be established in their lives. I don't want the rule or the influence of this world coming into my home or in the lives of my family members. I want God's rule, God's reign established. Amen? You pray. Thirdly, we pray for God's purposes to be fulfilled in their lives. Each person in your family was designed by God for a purpose. God has given them certain skills and certain inclinations in their lives, certain abilities in them. Each one is unique, uniquely designed by God for a purpose. And so through your prayer, you pray, God, I want this my husband, my wife, my children. I want the purpose of God to be fulfilled in their lives. Pray for them. God, I want them to live for your purposes and not get carried away by any other thing. I want them to live for your purposes. Let them fulfill your design for their lives. Fourthly, in your time of prayer, as you are contending fervently for them, speak God's word over their lives and begin to declare God's prophetic destiny. You know, you listen to God. What is God saying is his destiny for your spouse or your children or even for other family members that you're contending for. And you begin to speak the word of God and you begin to declare God's prophetic destiny over their lives. You say, you know, my son is going to do this. I believe God's called him to do that. My daughter is called to do this. And you begin to speak the word of God and declare God's destiny over their lives. Amen. We've got to do that. And, and, and fifth, as, as, you're, as you're engaging in prayer, take authority over any work of darkness that might be influencing their lives and resist the work of the enemy. You know, this world, in fact, the world in which we are living in today, I, I just think it's so much more darker than, you know, 20 years ago. Children growing up today are, 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 are exposed to so much today than what 20 years ago when some of us grew up you know we weren't exposed to those things i mean those days we had doordarshan black and white television one channel <laughs> these days kids you turn on the tv it is just exposed to so much and then the internet it just is so much and so they are facing a whole lot more than what us parents grew up in and so we've got to contend for them. And I want to tell you, just point blank, sending your kids two hours for children's church is not enough. It's not going to do it. Even though if it's, it's APC's children's church. <laughs> just because you send them to children's church two hours in, on a week is not enough to make sure that the purpose of God for their life is fulfilled. The remaining 166 hours of the week are more important, I would say. What you do at home and what you contend in prayer for your son, your daughter, your children is more important. And you've got to stand before God because the enemy is going to try and use any method, any door of access to capture their minds and, and do anything. So you've got to stand as the entry point and say, if, if the devil's going to touch my son, my daughter, he's got to pass through me. And I'm not going to let it happen. Amen. 
And you and I as parents, we will need to contend for them. Uh, there is a war involved. There are spirits of darkness. There are doctrines of demons are just pervasive all over the world in all kinds of forms and, and trying to gain entry and capture the minds of, of, of our young people or uh, even your spouse. When your spouse travels, you pray for him or you pray for her. God protect them because you don't know what kinds of things they're exposed to uh, when they're out and, and, and doing things, contending in prayer. You've got to do it. And I also got some more thing, one more thing to tell you. It's not your pastor's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Amen? So, oh, pastor will pray for me. That's good. You know. Listen, as pastors, we will pray for the church at large. Honestly, I can't name 700 people every day. I can't do it. I can't take, you know, 700 names for God and mention all their names. I'll be sitting there every day morning till evening. I can't do it. So it's not practical. What I can do is contend for us as a people, as a body, which is what I do. I pray for us as a church at large. I pray over homes and families. But I can't necessarily know what's going on in your home. Now, yes, some people may text me or email me and say, this is what's happening. Please pray. I pray for those requests that come in. But that's only so much I can do. But you are responsible for your home. You are responsible for your family. And if you do not pray, if you do not contend for your home, let me tell you, you're not doing your job. I wish you didn't come to church today. <laughs> You've got to contend. You've got to labor fervently in prayer for your family. For your spouse and your children, you've got, to make the, you've got to make the time. Because if you don't, there's an enemy that's waiting to disrupt families, children, marriages. There's an enemy waiting. Amen? So contend. And here are some scriptures that you can use, especially when you're praying for your children. Now, many of us are familiar with these scriptures, but I'm just uh, going to remind us of these things. When you're praying, and uh, you can use these scriptures as you pray and speak over your children. Uh, Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4, God says, I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. So you begin to speak that over your children. God, you are pouring your blessing over my children, your, your spirit upon my seed. Isaiah 54 and verse 13, God says, all your children will be taught by the Lord. So you begin to contend in prayer and say, God, my children will be taught by the Lord, not by the spirit of this age, not by the doctrines of demons, not by this, uh, the spirit of humanism and intellectualism and atheism. My children are going to be taught by the Lord, you contend in prayer and say, this is what the word says. Isaiah 59, verse 21, God says, the spirit that is upon you and the word that I put in your mouth will pass on to your children and to your children's children. So you contend for that, not just for your children, but for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, saying, God, the word you've given to me, the anointing you put upon my life will pass on to my children and to the children after them. This is something you and I need to contend for. Amen. What we've seen in the history of the church is that there are individual men and women reach a certain high point for their own lives and ministries, but they fail to pass that on to the next generation. But that's not God's intent. God's intent is the high point of any generation must become the starting point of the next generation. So the anointing and revelation that God's placed in your life must pass on to the next generation. So God, I'm going to contend for it. I want that to happen. It's in the word. I want to see it happen. You contend for it. 
Amen. Um, uh, let's see what are the scriptures here. Uh, Psalm 112 verse 2. My children will be mighty on the earth. That means my children, they, they will become people of impact, of influence on this earth. It, I'm not saying that they should become rich and famous, but they should have impact and influence for the kingdom of God. They will be mighty on the earth. Uh, Psalm 128. Uh, verse, verse 3 says, your, and this is for your husbands. It says, husbands, your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your home and your children like olive plants around your table. The fruitful vine talks about product, productivity, being fruitful. It talks about bring, bringing pleasure and joy. So you begin to declare, my wife brings me pleasure and joy. And this, this, this olive plants around your table, it's a picture of the olive uh, plant, the grove, the olive, uh, olive, the grove of the olive plant. I've never been there. I've just read these descriptions. Uh, it talks about this this olive plant, which which when it grows to you know a, a full age, the parent plant. What happens is from its roots, young plants begin to sprout up all around the main parent plant, and the fruit that was supposed to be born by the parent plant, but now begins to be born by the offshoots all around the parent plant. So that's the picture he's saying. Your children will be like olive plants all around your table they will be bearing your strength and they will be your strength and they will be bearing fruit for you even in your old age as a parent so you begin to declare that you contend for that for your children are you with me if you don't do that my question is who's going to do it so pastor you don't know how busy i am i leave for work six o'clock in the morning and come back 12 o'clock at night it's good to be busy but you've got to contend for your children. What's the use if you earn all the money, give them, uh, uh, give them all the education, all the, all the comforts of life, but if they go astray, what will be the use? So while we must work and all of that, don't fail to contend for your family and your children. Now remember, sowing prayer is like sowing seed. We all like to flip switches. But prayer is not a, a switch that you flip. Prayer is seed that you're sowing. Amen? So we say, okay, God, take care of my family. Bless us. Four, no more. Amen. <laughs> and you're waiting for wonders to happen. It's not a switch you flip. It is seed you sow. And when you sow seed... Usually it takes time. The seed is in the ground. It's germinating. You don't see things happening. But it's happening under the ground. The seed is germinating. And at some point, you will see something spring up. You know things are happening. The seed you're sowing is beginning to sprout. And in due course of time, they will begin to bear fruit. So don't quit just because, you know, you started praying. Say, Pastor, I've been praying for one month since I heard that message on May 10th. Nothing's happened. You know, relax. It's not about that one month. You contend in prayer until you see the fruit come. You don't give up. You know, if you mention the name Billy Graham, many of us would recognize him. Billy Graham is probably, he is in his 90s now, but he probably one of the greatest evangelists the church has ever known and uh, and, and, and in recent times he's he's preached to millions of people led millions to the lord the greatest evangelist in that that whole era of of, of filling up stadiums and preaching to 
thousands of people, millions of people at times through the use of technology. So all of us recognize Billy Graham. He and his wife Ruth had five children. But two of them, two of the five children were wanderers. They went away from God. Now this is in the home of the world's greatest evangelists. Franklin Graham, who was the fourth of these five children, was quite a rebel. He wrote a book, his own testimony, his story, A Rebel with a Cause. He shares his story where, you know, he was a rebel in his early years. He got to smoking. He wanted to do all the rebellious things. So much so he got expelled from a Christian school. The principal came and told him, Franklin, I've just called your dad. And told him, you are expelled from the Christian school. That was Franklin Graham. So he's a total rebel till the age of 22. And he realized at, the, you know, at that age, he says, I realized that being Billy Graham's son would not take me to heaven. Boom. So then at the age of 22, after all that rebellion and all that he went through, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Ruth Graham, in her book, Prodigals and Those Who Love Him, Love Them, shares her personal story of how she persevered as she saw two of her own children wander away from God. She persevered until she saw them come home. Since 1989, Franklin Graham has been the uh, you know, he, he's been, he's, he's taken, he's now walking in his father's footsteps. He's, he's the head of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as well as the Samaritan's person. And since 1989, he's probably, he's preached to more than 1.8 million people. He's met with more than five of the U.S. presidents. He's, he's met with the heads of many, many countries around the globe. This was the same man who in his early days was a rebel. But his mother prayed for him. What's the point? Don't give up. Don't give up. If it happened in Billy Graham's home, take consolation. <laughs> if it's happening in your home, hey, it happened in the home of the world's greatest evangelist. But there was a woman who prayed. There was somebody praying. And I want to invite you to be that person. For your home, for your family, for your marriage, for your spouse, for your family members, you be that person who's contending in prayer. Here are some things you could pray for your home, your family, your finances maybe, things that you need to deal with. Just a few passages of scripture. There are many, many that, that we can uh, use from scripture just, just uh, to remind us. Pray Psalm 23 for your home. The Lord is our shepherd. We will not be in want. It's a very simple, easy to pray Psalm. Pray that for your family. Declare that over your family members. Psalm 112 verse 3. Wealth and riches will be in my home. Declare that over your finances. As you're going through financial need. No, God says there will be that provision. There will be that supply in my home. Psalm 118 verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation will be in your home. Pray that for your family, your home. Proverbs 3.33. That the blessing of God will be on your family. Proverbs 12 verse 7. The house of the righteous will stand. There are many scriptures that you can take before God and contend for your home, for your family.
This morning, I want to close with the story of Elijah. You've heard me share this before when we've talked about prayer. But I just want to remind us once again about this whole story of Elijah. In 1 Kings, the 18th chapter and verse 1, we read that God speaks to Elijah and he says, Elijah, go tell King Ahab, I will send rain on the earth. So it was God who decided and who gave his word saying, I will send rain. God said, I'm going to send rain. Go tell Ahab. So Elijah does that. He goes and tells King Ahab, God said it's going to rain, get ready. But he also does something more. He goes up to the Mount Carmel, he goes up there and he starts praying. Question. If God decided that it was going to rain, why would there be any need for a man to pray? God only said it. But Elijah went and prayed. And it was no tweet prayer. 160 characters only. <laughs> oh God, send the rain now. Thank you. Amen. See you later. <laughs> Wasn't that kind of a prayer? We don't know how long he prayed, but it must have been pretty long. Because six times, in fact seven times, he tells his servant, he prays and then he tells the servant, go and see. Does any cloud? Seven times, six times. Servant comes back, says, no cloud. And I can just imagine this whole thing unfolding. Elijah must have prayed for an hour. Now, before he went to prayer, he made his declaration. Ahab, you know, the sky was totally clear. And Elijah is saying this, I think it's verse 41. He says, Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. The sky is clear. What's Elijah saying? I hear the sound of abundance of. Why could he say it? Because God said. So it's like you and me. God has promised something, so we have every right to declare it. And that's what we do every Sunday morning. We declare the word. That's what Elijah did. He declared the word. I hear the sound of abundance of rain, but the sky was clear. Elijah is saying, man, the prophets lost it. <laughs> Sorry, Ahab. King Ahab is saying, prophets lost it. Now, Elijah, what does he do? After he makes his declaration, he goes praying. So just imagine this whole thing unfolding. Elijah has been praying for an hour. And he calls his son Gehazi. He says, hey, do you see any cloud there? So Gehazi runs out, looks in the sky. He's making sure he's searching the whole thing. says, prophet, no, just pray a little bit more. So prophet prays some more. Second time, Gehazi, do you see any cloud there? What's wrong with the prophet today? It doesn't seem to be working, you know. No cloud in the sky. Comes back saying, sorry, I don't see anything fourth time saying man this prophet's really lost it there is no cloud fifth time sixth time if it was you and I we would have said maybe it's God's will that I do not have rain <laughs> not Elijah why because God had said what has God said? It's here in the word. Amen. God has said. 
So you have every right. But are you willing to pray past the sixth time? It's the seventh time Elijah prayed. And finally, his servant comes running back saying, Sir, I see a cloud, but it's the size of a man's fist. And Elijah gets excited. He says, okay, there it is. I'm seeing it happening. And then there was this, the, the, the sky darkened and the clouds came and rain poured. So here's a question. If God said it, and God intended it, and God willed it, why was there a need for a man to pray? And why was there a need for a man to pray so intensely? Why? There's only one answer. God declares his will in heaven, but he invites you and me on earth to co-labor with him to see it happen here on earth. We are co-laborers with God. And that's why we are taught to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's declared his will in heaven. It's an invitation for you and me now to labor with him to see it, to contend for it. And when you and I contend for the promise of God, it's not that God is trying to withhold it from us, but two things. We are contending against an enemy was trying to rob us of the promises. And secondly, we are contending to bring ourselves into a place where we can receive the promise. Prayer does not change God, it changes you and me. Prayer doesn't move God into a place of fulfilling the promise. Prayer moves you and me into a place of receiving the promise. So that's why I contend in prayer. That's why sometimes it takes more than one time to pray. That's why sometimes it may take months, maybe years. It's not that God is changing. It's you and me who are changing. You and me are now being moved into a place where we can receive what God has promised. You and me are contending for that promise so that the devil can be moved out of the way and say, you will not have any say in this. God has spoken. His word is final. That is what I'm going to have in my life, for my family, for my children. Amen. So James writes this in James chapter 5. Now, this James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's not James and John, the twin brothers, the two brothers who were disciples, the apostles. That James was killed by King Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 11. But this James, who's writing the book of James, is the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing here in James chapter 5. And he says, verse 16, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. And then he says this. The effectual. Meaning the energized. The divinely energized. The effectual fervent. Meaning red hot. Passionate prayer. The effectual fervent prayer. Of a righteous man. Avails much. The Amplified Bible says. It's powerful in its working. The effectual fervent prayer. Is powerful and it's working. This is a powerful ministry. Something that, that releases dynamic, releases the 
powerful power of God into our realm. When there are people who are effectual, who are energized, who are fervent in their prayer, they're releasing the power of heaven here on earth. And is there anything that can stop the power of heaven? Nothing. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he goes right on to point to the example of Elijah. Elijah was a man of like passions like you and me. He slept through the sermon on Sundays. He fell asleep during prayer time at home. He was a man of like passions. But he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it did not rain. And then he prayed again, prayed earnestly again, that it would rain and it did rain. And then James continues very interestingly says, brethren, if any man is overtaken in a fault. So now he began in verse 16 about being healed. Now he's talking about somebody who's going into error. Who's wandering off from the truth. Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in a fall, and if you bring him back, let him know that he who brings a sinner from the error of his ways saves a soul and he covers a multitude of sins. So right there between healing and bringing a sinner back home is this whole thing about prayer. You want to see people healed? Pray. You want to see sinners come home? Pray. But what kind of prayer is he talking about? The earnest prayer. The effectual fervent prayer. Amen. You know many of us look at the ministry of Jesus. We look at the fact that when he ministered to people. Everything happened instantaneously. And that is good. But remember he was ministering healing. And deliverance. That was one aspect of his ministry. Ministering prayer, administering healing and deliverance. Everything happened immediate, 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 immediate. Now, we incorrectly take that and apply that to prayer all the time. But look at the other verses in scripture about Jesus. It says, for instance, in Luke 6.12, he went out to the mountain to pray and he prayed, he continued all nights in prayer to God. It doesn't tell us what he prayed those 6 to 12 hours or 8 hours. But he spent that much time in prayer. So on the one hand, when we minister to people, yes, we are expecting immediate results. We are ministering in faith. We are saying be healed, be delivered, etc. But there is also the other aspect of the life of Jesus that we must not miss. Which is he spent many hours in prayer. Amen. Which is what we are inviting you and me into. Thank God for those public ministry of ministering, healing and deliverance and all that's wonderful. But don't think that is the only kind of ministry we are called to. The Lord himself rose up early in the morning and he went out to a solitary place and prayed. Mark 1.35. In Luke chapter 5, you find that when the crowds came to him, he withdrew himself, went alone to pray, to spend those extended hours in prayer. And that's what I want to invite you and me as a church, as a family. Pray for your family. Pray 
for your children. Contend in prayer. Every promise of the word of God is waiting to be fulfilled for your home, for your family, for the members of your family is waiting to be fulfilled. If you will be like Elijah, if you will get on there before God and say, God, until I see it happen, I will not stop contending for this. Until I see it happen, I'm not stopping. Amen? And you can pray like this for the church. We'll talk about that next week. How we pray for communities of believers. Because as a community, we also have a destiny. And we need people who will pray us into that destiny. We don't want to stay where we are. We thank God for the journey we've made this far. But this is not our final destination. Amen? And we need us to pray together, to contend together for the destiny that God wants us to enter into. We'll talk about that next week. Let's stand to our feet, please. This morning, I just want you to take these few moments before God to pray and ask the Lord for the grace to spend time with Him in prayer. I know the thought of spending an hour in prayer for some of us might just be overwhelming. You say, man, an hour in prayer, how can I do that? But it all begins by first spending 10 minutes in prayer. Or maybe 15 minutes. You start there. And then slowly your time will grow. It will increase. And soon spending an hour in prayer will be too little for you. You'll wish for another hour. You'll wish for another hour. And hours in prayer. But remember that time you spend in prayer is never wasted time. Because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person Avails much. There's powerful power being released. It's dynamic and it's working. And prayer is one ministry all of us can be involved in. There is no limit to time, location, and distance there. But would you ask God, God, give me the grace to pray? I believe all of us can be involved young ones, old ones, men and women, whoever we are, you know, whatever our vocation in life is, we can be involved. In this. Would you just ask the Lord. Give me the grace to do this. Would you respond in your heart. And say God. I'm willing to enter into this ministry of prayer. I may not gain any recognition. I don't need it. I may not have any fame or name. I don't need it. But I just want to bring the power of heaven. Release it here on earth. Holy Spirit. We invite you right now. To move upon the hearts of your people here. To draw us, to strengthen us, to make us these people who will minister in prayer. And you can do it. Whatever, however old you are, however young you are, you can do this. You can spend that time in prayer. You pray in the spirit. You pray in your known language. You pray however you want. But you say, God, I want to be a person who will minister in prayer. Father, we just ask for the empowering of your spirit upon each one to help us, God, to be a people who will pray, who will contend for what you've declared to be established here on earth. Help us. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. And the empowering fellowship of his Holy Spirit. Be with each one of us. Today and always. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So step in. This ministry of prayer. Each one. You can do it. God bless you. Have a great week. See you again. Thanks. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.